to Romans chapter 12. So last week, we uh, walked through one of the more difficult passages of the Bible, and it was pretty startling the number of people that indicated that they have, either in their immediate family or extended family, folks that don't even talk anymore, okay? We're talking total relationship breakdown. Or if you are forced to get together at a particular holiday, it's like being in a cold war zone. You hardly even communicate or talk with one another. And that pattern of alienation becomes almost the norm. And yet when you come to Romans chapter 12, as we make our way through this book, we see that God has not only called us to Christ and salvation, He intends to literally transform the way we live, that we live differently, that we reflect the likeness and the love of Christ. And so like in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, he says, let love be without hypocrisy. I want you to love differently than a lot of folks. I want you to be unhypocritical. I want you to be authentic, genuine, and sincere. And then that passage that we came to last week, verse 17, he says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible, so far as it depends on you. Be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God says, I'll take care of it. And then verse 20, he says, I want you to treat people with love. What does sincere love look like? to those who have really hurt us. Verse 20, But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And we looked at that last week. This is uh, borrowed right from the book of Proverbs. It was an Egyptian ritual. Solomon is well aware of it. It was so common in, in Egypt that what would happen is if a person was to demonstrate that they were repentant and broken over their bad thinking or their bad behavior. They'd take these coals and some ashes, put it in a pan, put a towel on their head, and they'd walk around with it, and it literally symbolized my bad thinking is being burned away. I've had a change of heart. Okay? It was a very visual description of what was taking place in a person's life. And that's what we do. We want to, we want to extend kindness and love even to those who do evil because we want their hearts won over for God. And so he sums it up in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The only way that is ever going to happen is if you and I truly learn the lost art of forgiveness. Now, today, in our present time, when we talk about forgiveness, oftentimes this is what is understood. It's like it's a therapeutic way of detaching ourselves from people who've harmed us. And so we're like, yeah, I forgave them. And that means I try to drop it, and what I'm trying to do is just like, I have nothing to do with them, and they're not influencing my life because I forgave them. That's the idea that I'm avoiding them, and I'm going to stay away from them. But yet, that's not what the Bible refers to when it speaks of forgiveness. It's far richer than most of us realize. And when it comes to the need for forgiveness, this is, this is a theory. Friends, Every single one of us in this room has hurt. Some hurt in this room is extremely significant. And I want you to know that if you and I do not learn the lost art of forgiveness as the scripture presents, we're going to have some marriages that are going to unravel. We're going to have some families 
they're going to break down. There are going to be breakdowns in offices. Friendships are going to collapse. Because if we don't learn the art of forgiveness, we settle for superficial and oftentimes shallow relationships. Forgiveness is God's means to to healing broken hearts and broken relationships. So what does forgiveness from the heart really look like? Well, we just saw Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21, this extreme challenge, this presentation of what love looks like in the face of evil. And it's interesting that the final book of the Bible, I mean, the, the final chapter in the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 50, we have an amazing illustration of just this passage. And so for the remainder of our time, I'm going to ask if you'd actually turn to the first book of the Bible, last chapter, Genesis chapter 50. Now, if you're familiar with the book of Genesis, you know that the last half of the book of Genesis deals with a man by the name of Joseph, specifically. Joseph, son of Jacob, he's one of 12 boys. And uh, as it would be, um, Jacob made some parenting blunders, one of which is he played favorites with his kids. And so he... He loved Joseph, apparently even more than the other boys, and some of his kids were hard to love. They did some bad things. They were temperamental. Um, It's written there in Scripture. God never glosses over his people's mistakes. One of the mistakes that Jacob made is he made him this real-life coat. And it wasn't just any old coat. It was a coat of multicolors, like he would stand out in the desert, okay? And his brothers resented him because of it. And then, of course, to make matters worse, Jacob himself uh, would allow this to go on, and Joseph then had some dreams, some dreams that his brothers were going to bow down before him, and he made another mistake and said, you know, I think it would be a good idea if I tell my brothers about the dreams I've been having lately. I dream that one day you're going to be bowing down before me, and guess how that went over. And they hated him. Hated him to such a degree that they decided on one occasion, now is our time. Let's put an end to it. Let's throw him in a pit and have him die. We'll take his little multicolored coat there, and we'll uh, tear it up a little bit. We'll put some blood on it, and we'll make it look and pass on the story that uh, that some animals killed him or something like that, right? And then, but hey, wait, wait, you know what? That's not right. We're smarter than that. You know what we could do? We could, uh, we could sell him into slavery and make money on him. Ha, ha. Let's make some money on the deal. And so they did. They took their brother, Joseph. Imagine if that was you. Hauled him out of a pit and enslaved him. Sold him into slavery. Joseph makes his way away from his father, away through the Sinai Peninsula. He becomes a slave in Egypt. But God is with him and gives him favor. And he actually rises in, in the position. And he learns a lot about how to work and, and how to run and things at a pretty large scale. And yet, his troubles continue. uh, Joseph, slave to Potiphar. Potiphar has a wife who tries to seduce Joseph. And on one occasion, she literally calls out to him, grabs him, says, come lie with me. He's like, this is no place for me to eat. He runs. She holds on to his cloak. And she calls out, this guy tried to rape me. That's her story. This Hebrew tried to make sport of me. And that ends up putting Joseph in prison. And he's in prison, but he doesn't languish. 
God continues his work in these very difficult scenarios in Joseph's life. And through a series of amazing events, Joseph then actually not only comes out of prison, he interprets Pharaoh's dream and actually then becomes the number two man in the Egyptian empire. It's, it's staggering how God could work, and yet it doesn't even make sense to us. But if anybody had reason to really hate his brothers with a vengeance, it would be Joseph. But as it would be, the famine, just as Joseph said, these dreams are revealing, took place. Two years into it, Joseph's brothers are sent by Jacob because they're starving to death in, death in Israel. They show up, and Joseph recognizes them. He provides food for them, and over a series of events, eventually all of the brothers are gathered. He hears their story. You know, for 22 years, they had gone with this lie and told their dad this, but our others, they, our one son is of no more, right? And Jacob believed them. But they lied to him every time they recounted the story. Well, then Jacob, excuse me, Joseph then chooses to reveal himself to his brothers. And he does so in such a remarkable way that they, they see that he really does love them. In fact, he brings Jacob and all of the family down to live in Egypt. He provides for them, and for 70 years, he provides a wonderful life. He's so kind and so gracious. He provides an opportunity for them to live in the best of land, but then Jacob dies. And when he dies, they go back to Israel to bury him near the grave of Abraham in the field of Machpelah in a, in a cave. And it's after this that the brothers are thinking, now Joseph is going to make our life miserable. For these last 17 years, Joseph has been kind to us because he didn't want to cause any more grief to our father. But now... Now that uh, he's dead, now it's about to change. Look how it's recorded here in the scriptures. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? And so look at this. They're, they're conniving. Like, I, I, we know what to do. Verse 16. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father charged before he died, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, Please forgive, I beg you, the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Man, they're really playing this out pretty good, aren't they? And notice Joseph wept when they spoke to him. They're... They're trying everything they can to prevent Joseph from literally letting loose rage, wrath, and vengeance upon them. They have such a guilty conscience, and so that's what they're, they're doing. They're, they're operating from their frame of reference. And there is a reason that Joseph is weeping. He's weeping because they don't understand anything about God, it seems, or his grace, even though they call themselves servants of God. It's it's like what they're worried about is like, hopefully you never had this experience. I didn't, but I know this does happen. Like um, you've been married for like 10 years, and then suddenly your spouse brings up something that you did while you were dating. You remember when you did that? And you're like, <laughs> yeah, I thought you forgave me. Well, I did back then, but now I've changed my mind, okay? And you're like, ah, I don't, that's not forgiveness, is it? That's holding a grudge. That's bitterness. That's wrong. The reason that Joseph is weeping is that he 
he doesn't, he sees that his son, his brothers don't understand anything of God's grace. They're, they're not like him. They suffer from feelings of paranoia. In fact, what's happening here is you see this, that if you, if you have been mistreated by others, then you have a tendency to interpret another person's actions in light of their, your own weaknesses. And so they themselves, they see themselves as, man, if I was in Joseph's situation, I would make, I would make my life miserable. And so that's how they see it. Why would Joseph's brothers think this way? It's because they themselves could have never demonstrated attitudes and actions of grace. They just didn't seem to know anything about it. In this, this wonderful letter that they produced in verse 17, there is no record whatsoever that Jacob ever said anything. In fact, if Jacob really thought that Joseph was going to take it out on his boys as soon as he died, he would have addressed Joseph himself. So they make this up. And notice they play it up. Look at verse 18. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. Remember those dreams? This is the literal fulfillment. They'd actually bowed down before Joseph on different occasions, but they didn't know that it was Joseph. Remember? He was concealing himself as an Egyptian. Now they know who he is, and they literally bow down before him. And in these following verses, we're going to learn some of life's most important lessons when it comes to the subject of forgiveness. The first is, you and I need to leave our pain with the Lord. Look at verse 19. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? This is a profound verse. If you and I are really going to know forgiveness and express it, we have to recognize we're not in God's place that he is God. Philip Yancey wrote, in the final analysis, forgiveness is an act of faith. By forgiving another, I am trusting that God is a better justice maker than I am. By forgiving, I release my own right to get even and leave all issues of fairness for God to work out. I leave in God's hands the scales that must balance justice and mercy. You see, Joseph says, don't be afraid, because what's happening is his brothers are fear-driven. If you were driven by fear, you're always making decisions and actions based on fear, it's, it's going to lead to kind of like a paranoia in your life. Joseph, on the other hand, is manifesting a maturity that comes from trusting God and seeing God as God. You and I, apart from truly seeing God and knowing God as He is, we would rush to rather severe judgment, right? I mean, we're impetuous. We have a proclivity to be really emotional about things. Yesterday I was up in Dallas. What in the world is going on up there with the driving? Okay? It's like you're driving, and it, I, this happens all the time up there. Someone cuts in front of you like there's no space. You have to stop, otherwise you're going to have like the little traffic accident deal, right? And then they put their blinker on, right? And, you know, like some of you might go, ah, that's it. Off with their head, right? Capital punishment. You didn't even put your blinker on, right? And we, would, we think that way. Okay, some of you are smiling, so you do think that way. I knew it, okay? But is that really the appropriate sense of justice in that situation? I mean, think about it. Like you haven't maybe done that yourself the time or two, right? See, we, um, we're not so good. We lose perspective. We become impassioned. God is not like that. He's not like that at all. That's why he says, do not be afraid from my God's place. Just as a point of clarity, 
make sure that it's really a sin issue, that someone really just sinned against you. You might try to write it down, what exactly is that sin, and maybe put a Bible verse or two. It seems like the tendency is that things that can irritate us, annoy us, drive us crazy, oftentimes they're things that require endurance. They're not sin issues. Sometimes what happens when people wrong us, or at least we perceive that they've wronged us, really what happens is our jealousy, our insecurity, our ambition, they jump in, and we make this case. It's, it makes sense in our head, but it's actually not quite logical, and it's certainly not biblical, and it's really not a sin issue. A lot of times, what, pe- what we perceive as sin against us is done by people, but it's not actually malicious in intent. They're not trying to do us evil. What actually is taking place is that they're probably just immature, or they're unorganized, or perhaps they're in positions of significant responsibility, but they lack the ability to handle themselves well. And so what happens is, when people are outside of their comfort zone or their competency zone, then they, they might go like passive, they might make a lot of bad decisions, they perform poorly. But it's not necessarily a sin issue or even a sincerity issue, but perhaps a skill or a character or a development issue. In the case of Joseph, though, Joseph's brothers clearly sinned against him. They sinned against their father. They were liars. They made his life miserable. But the point of the matter is they didn't seem to understand God or grace, and that's why, verse 19, he says, Do not be afraid, for am I and God you and I need to leave, learn to leave our pain with God. It has been said we are never more like God than when we forgive. Forgiveness always begins with the heart of God, and it flows through the hearts of His people. And if you and I are going to rediscover the lost art of forgiveness, we need to leave our pain with God. Let me give you a second life lesson on forgiveness. And that is to look to God and His providence for perspective and peace. Verse 20, perhaps, is one of the great classic texts on the sovereignty of God working in humanity. Look at verse 20. Look what Joseph says. As for you, he's talking to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God, and that changes everything, doesn't it? But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Is that what you did? That was evil, but God. God did this, and God allowed for this present work many people. We're talking millions of people that would have died, would have perished due to starvation, due to the famine in the land, did not. Many of them are pagan Egyptians. Think that God doesn't care about the people that, that don't even know him yet? You are mistaken. And he says, I want you to know I see life from God's perspective. And I also know this. Do you remember our great-grandfather Abraham? There was a promise given to him. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And that is through him, through his line, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Joseph sees his life as a part of that kind of fulfillment. The boys, on the other hand, they don't seem to get life from God's perspective. But Joseph understood that what took place, it was evil, it was painful, it hurt me tremendously, 
when I have learned to see life from God's perspective. And we know that Joseph seemed to be able to forgive uh, his brothers and treat them well because he forgave them likely before he ever really reintroduced himself to them. To see life from God's perspective, when, remember when Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, if you actually turn back this one, I'll quote it to you, in Genesis chapter 45, Joseph chooses to reveal himself to his brothers, and when he does, they are overwhelmed. They're like, oh, wait, can you imagine? You've gone on with the story that your brother died by the wild animal, right? You've been lying to your dad for 22 years on that one, and now he's standing in front of you, and he is the second most important guy in Egypt. He could make your life miserable. The worst things he could imagine, he could do to you, and it would be done. No questions asked. Yet in this scene, twice, he tells them about God. He says in Genesis 45, verse 5, he tells the brothers, they're all crying and weeping. Some of them can't even breathe. He says, now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves. What? Because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Or the two verses later, he, you see him urgently trying to interject God into the situation. He says, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Yeah, what you did, evil, but I want you to know, despite the pain, the hurt, the hardship, it was miserable. God is using this for good. I see it. You see, God is able to transform the actions of wickedness to bring about a gracious end. God is the one who is a Romans 8.28 God, who can work all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purposes. He literally can transform us into the image of Christ. Verse 29. From a human side, what they did was absolutely evil. But you see, Joseph had these huge wounds in his life, but he cleaned them out. And he healed well. You know, if you don't clean out the wound, it festers. You can lose your arm. You could lose your life. Joseph could have lost his heart. Those kind of wounds? But he didn't. He forgave. And I know when we speak about the subject of forgiveness, I, I know a lot of your stories. I know the hurt in this room is tremendous. If you knew some of the stories, if people walked up here and told you what really happened in their life, you would weep. This is a deep subject. But the wound must be cleaned out, and if you really want to experience healing, hope, to even to extend forgiveness, learn to see how God's mercy at work in the situation. Now, Joseph knows that his brothers, they need to understand the nature of God if they're ever really going to grow. Giving them a lecture, some moral lessons, making their life miserable, that's not going to do it, is it? What they need is to know grace. You know, when life is hard, it's painful, you're in the fight, it's difficult, you lack clarity, what we really need is perspective. Friends, verse 20 is a great verse for perspective. As for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good. In fact, he brought about this result, and he is so sovereign that even despite your willful, sinful actions, he is able to orchestrate and bring about his good. What kind of God are we dealing with here? He's saying you need to come to terms with him. 
I get it. I see it. But I'll also tell you something, that ministry oftentimes comes out of brokenness, out of pain. Uh, I would like it not to be so, but think of it. Broken marriages and broken finances and broken dreams and our health goes away. Even trouble in our walk with God, and yet God works these details to bring strength. A strength in the depth of relationship that perhaps you would have never known apart from this. And an opportunity for ministry that would not have taken place apart from the brokenness. You know, it's like when you break a bone in your body, when it actually, it, when it actually heals, it actually, the bone is stronger than before it was broken. And so it seems to be in our lives. Painful though it is, God brings depth. And what happens is our brokenness develops a, a closeness with God. It leads to healing. It leads us to experience love. It takes us to the end of ourselves so that we experience the fullness of God. It leads to life. It leads to love. It even leads to forgiveness. And I will tell you, the alternative to forgiveness, if you're thinking about this, you're like, oh, I, don't, I could never forgive her or him or what they did. The alternative to forgiveness is bitterness. And it happens. This is real. You do not get a rewind on life. Did you know that? Once played, game over, you can't go back. I want you to think about this very carefully. Because some of you are going to make some pretty serious decisions in the next few minutes. The alternative to trusting in God's goodness is bitterness. You end up like a shell of what God intended. And for some, maybe the work has already started. It is contorting your heart, your soul, your mind. God wants you to experience freedom, love, forgiveness, and grace. That is why we need to see life from God's perspective. Instead of hiding our pain, you know what we need to do? Is we, need to, we need to go to God with our pain. That's where we're going to find healing and Christ-likeness. A while back, I was talking with a guy, and he recounted his story of his life. Told me different things, how he came to Christ. Told me some horrific pains and hurts that he had at different times. And then he, he made this statement as he's really been growing in the Lord. He said this, I have learned through prayer there is nothing that I can't forgive. I've learned through prayer there is nothing that I can't forgive. Friends, on this side of eternity, it's kind of like a tapestry. Have you ever seen another tapestry? It's like, it's like these knots and strings that's totally random. And you look at one side and you're like, oh, this is a mess. Someone's got a huge problem here. This makes, well, there's a little bit of pattern here. But for the most part, this is a jumbled mess. On the other side, though, it's beautiful. Like, wow, look at this. is genius how this is all woven together. How did you make all those threads and strings make this beautiful pattern? Friends, in this side of eternity, we're looking at the knots and the strings. Sometimes we get glimpses like, oh, look at that combination. Oh, that's, that's, I think that's starting to come together. But when we leave this life on this earth and we see life from God's perspective, when we enter into eternity where we're going to be absent of the Lord, absent in the body, be present with the Lord, we're going to see the tapestry and it'll lead to authentic, continual worship. We're like, wow, only God could have done something like that. And so, friends, I'll tell you this. At times, 
God permits what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. At times, God permits what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. Let me give you the opening example on this. Jesus. Jesus crucified. I mean, think of the the beating, the honor of recognition ahead of that. It all came unraveled. Even the disciples were all just, whoa, it's, it's, it's done. It's all coming apart. It makes no sense. This is knots and string, and this is nothing like I ever imagined. And yet, it is through the crucifixion and the resurrection. Our sins have been paid for. God's just wrath has been experienced. Life, real, genuine, spiritual life is available to anyone who will believe. Do you believe that? Not only experienced here, but throughout all eternity, available to you. And that comes at the act of Jesus being crucified and risen from the grave. Sometimes God permits what he hates in order to accomplish what he loves. And friends, if you and I are going to really extend forgiveness, we must believe the gospel. You and I must trust Jesus. We need to know life. We need to be forgiven to understand that Christ fully paid for our sins and that he really seeks to bring about genuine spiritual life in us because he's taking up residency in our lives. That's what gives us the freedom to live and forgive. And if you really want to experience forgiveness, to know it and to extend it, it all begins with God, with Jesus, to believe him and the gospel. You see, forgiveness keeps us from destroying our lives because of a particular situation. It deepens our dependency in relationship with God. It creates depth in our character, and it gives us the opportunity to manifest the love of God to a hurting community. And you know what? If you and I are going to experience and know the art of forgiveness, we need to leave our pain with God. We need to look to God and His providence for perspective and peace. And friends, we need to love and forgive even when it hurts. Look at verse 21. Joseph says, So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And so he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Do you know why we will forgive? We forgive because we want people to know the hope and the love that we have in Christ. We want to win their hearts. We want them to experience God. And so that's why we do it. We want the situation where we're both clinging to Christ and the cross. Yeah, we're all sinners, so they hurt us. But we've hurt a lot of people, right? But how beautiful it is that we're both clinging to Christ and that we've experienced forgiveness. Not only does reconciliation take place, relationships are saved, community is preserved. We are the church. We are, we are what we are supposed to be. And it all gets rooted in forgiveness. And do you see verse 21? He's like, I'm going to provide for you. I'm not like you. You would be vindictive. I'm trying to be more like God. I'm going to provide for you. And look at verse 21. He says, so he comforted them. Can you imagine that? He comforted the very guys that sold him into slavery and made his life miserable. And he spoke kindly to him. Literally, he spoke to their heart. It wasn't like, all right, Dad's good. Well, okay, just stay out of my way, and uh, we'll just kind of go through life. I'll, I'll be civil toward you at your kid's birthday party. No. He spoke kindly. He literally spoke to their heart. What kind of man is this? It's a man who knows God well. 
It's, it's such an inspiration to us. True forgiveness, it begins by dealing honestly with the sin. It was evil. You don't slip, you don't like put it under the rug, like, well, just kind of ignore it. We'll pretend it didn't happen. No, you deal with it, you call a spade a spade, but you extend grace and forgiveness. And when we forgive people, in essence, it states, I will not rehearse it, I'm not going to review it, and I'm not going to renew it. I was reading of one guy and I met with a counselor, he's having some problems in his life. You know, my wife, every time we argue, she gets historical on me. And the counselor says, I mean, you mean hysterical. He goes, no, I mean historical. She brings up everything that I ever did, right? Friends, that's not forgiveness. God is trying to teach us to leave it with him. And forgiveness is a decision, but it may not be a one-time decision. It likely, depending on the hurt, if it's deep, it's an ongoing process. Clarissa Pinkola Estes wrote this. Forgiveness has many layers, many seasons. The important part of forgiveness is to begin and to continue, and listen to this, the finishing of it all is a life work. Forgiveness is real when hatred is replaced with love. When evil is overcome with good. And forgiveness is found in trusting in the power of God's presence and the depth of his goodness. It was Charles Curzon that said, God is too good to be unkind, too wise to be mistaken, and when you cannot trace his hand, when it doesn't make sense, you can always trust his heart. Victoria Lavoa, when she was 45 years old, you, some of you are going to be familiar with this, she's living in New York, she was selected as the most inspiring person in 2005, and for good reason. If you'll recall, Victoria was on her way to go to her niece's vocal recital. She's driving down the road at high speed. She's going to come passing a car going the opposite direction, driven by a 19-year-old, Ryan Cushing. Ryan and their five teenage boys that were also in the car had it stolen a credit card and went on a shopping spree. It's just bought a bunch of random, crazy stuff. Had a great, grand old time. One of the things they bought is a 20-pound frozen turkey. And while they're driving by and they're passing, Ryan decided to throw that frozen turkey out the window, and it crashed right through the windshield. And Victoria literally took it home on it. That led to hospitalization, honestly, a 10-hour surgery to try to repair Victoria's face. When she finally came home, she brought along her tracheotomy tube, and she endured months of painful rehabilitation. But they happened to apprehend Ryan Cushing and his friends. And on October 17, 2005, Victoria Ravolo attended Ryan Cushing's sentencing, and she asked his judge for leniency. And I want to read part of her statement. She said, Despite all the fear and the pain I have learned from this horrific experience, and I have much to be thankful for, each day when I wake up, I thank God simply because I'm alive. I sincerely hope you have also learned from this awful experience, Ryan. There is no room for vengeance in my life. 
And I do not believe a long, hard prison term would do you, me, or society any good. And so, while Victoria's saying this, this 19-year-old boy, Ryan Cushing, just, he's like, just losing it. He's expressing remorse for his action. He's weeping. The judge was moved by her statement and gave leniency and gave him only six months in jail when he was looking at a 25-year prison sentence. And then Robolo added this. I truly hope that by demonstrating compassion and leniency, I've encouraged you to seek an honorable life. If my generosity will help you mature into a reasonable, honest man whose graciousness is a source of pride to your loved ones and your community, then I will be truly gratified and my suffering will not have been in vain. Ryan, prove me right. Friends, forgiveness is real and hate is replaced with love and evil is overcome with good. That's what God is seeking to do in the lives of his people in our lives. Lord, what an amazing passage of Scripture. You know the difficulty of this subject and why there's still offenses and sin in this state experience like any of your people do. Father, we want to begin by just even telling you thank you for forgiving us for our sins. But they're covered by the blood of Christ. And in this moment of quietness, as we really look at the Scriptures, the theology of forgiveness, you move it in our hearts to forgive those whom we need to extend it to, and even do so in our hearts before you need to do so. And Father, for the people that have come here today who have never trusted in Jesus, and they may know about him, but they've never put their faith in him, what we're talking about is almost foreign you've created a yearning desire and this kind of love and this kind of forgiveness has come along. You basically pray with me and say, Lord, I turn from myself and my sin, and I trust in Jesus, my Savior. Lord, would you be the Lord of my life? Father, may we manifest your likeness. May we grow deep in your love. May we forgive from the heart for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.